You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're here to you tonight to talk a little bit of football. We'll go over some of the news and reviews around the NFL, focusing mostly on the Arizona Cardinals. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, Blake Murphy, on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And as always, I'm joined with my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, it's been a few weeks. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Blake, as we progress through the the summer drudge of non-football content. We're getting closer and closer to, to the site of training camp as it's right now currently set to transpire, I believe, in mid-July. Uh, and so hopefully not too long from now, we're doing a podcast previewing that. But we've got some good nuggets to talk about here in the short term as well, Blake. Uh, let's start here with some of the latest news that we have. There are a few camps, and uh, they're a little bit happening in July, I guess you could say. There's no training camp yet. Coaches are allowed to enter the facilities. There's been some players who've come in from workouts, and that's been kind of the biggest news that you'll be able to see from that is uh, news of a few Houston Texans and some of the Dallas Cowboys players came in tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, one of those uh, was the Cowboys running back Ezekiel. Elliot, and uh, this is kind of an interesting spot, John, because as we've kind of talked about, bandied back and forth, we both believe that football will be happening on schedule uh, outside of you know something else catastrophic going on for a variety of reasons. But uh, this is still definitely something that we're going to see players go through, people go through. There's going to be questions about pulling back, um, just with the fact that it is very easily spread. There's a lot of things still to consider. Uh, what's your kind of concern level hearing some of this news uh, for some of the players in the Texas state, especially uh, in a time in Arizona where they've just had their highest case count yet for COVID? You know, I'm, I'm concerned for those that it affects, and by, by no means Blake and I are not your go-to COVID uh, podcast. So if you're, if you're into that sort of thing, I, 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 and the bear of bad news in the sense that, you know, we're not experts. We hear what you guys hear, uh, and we try to make it relatable to football, which this is. Um, and so again, I'm, I'm fearful for those that have underlying health conditions and for it to to affect potentially the elderly, but the all actuality is folks generally under 40 or 50 years old, typically in good health, it's not going to affect you, or if it does, it's a mild cold from from what I'm told. Um, I'd be anxious to hear what Von Miller has to say. Now, he's over 30 years old. Uh, He did have the coronavirus, and I think he has asthma, and so it made it a little bit difficult, probably something to the effect of bronchitis, severe bronchitis. But by all accounts, he's fully recovered and ready to go. Um, What I will say is I, I, I think it's been pretty well documented now that Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott had that party like during like the midst of quarantine. I know people are out now in, in certain phases and that's that's exciting. But like when everybody was like generally supposed to stay home, they had like a big get together. So it's not super surprising. But I'm also like, you know, let's are they allowed to say, you know, how they're feeling right now? I, I'm I'm guessing, Blake, that the league has probably wanted them to temper their 
feelings on like how they feel, temperature, if they have one, if they have any side effects. Because like we haven't heard from any of the NBA players that got it, from to my knowledge. The only people I heard from was Von Miller kind of after the fact. We didn't hear how, how Kevin Durant felt after the fact, during, um, because I think what is going to end up happening is it doesn't affect majority of said athletes. I mean, these guys are in peak physical condition. They're in the prime of their life in terms of playing age. Um, they're in their 20s. I mean, these are the, the quintessential, like, it does not affect you. Now, I could be wrong. It could affect like 0.001%. But again, there's a very small chance. And so I'm sure the league is extra precautious in the sense that they do not want Zeke saying, I feel great. I'm fine. Because what does that do? It encourages other people to come out and not socially distance and not worry about COVID-19. I... I, this, this is probably why I'm so confident that there'll be an NFL season is because the NFL knows that, you know, yeah, they might have to quarantine some players over time, but I think there are a lot of folks who are asymptomatic, and I, we're not going to get political on this podcast, but I know Trump said something to the effect of, well, if we didn't test a ton of people, we wouldn't have a lot of cases. And that's ridiculous on the surface, but it's also kind of true in the sense, like, if they didn't test anybody, and only the people who showed symptoms were, were cared for then we would probably, like, I don't know if the precautions would be as high as they even are now, but you also have the risk of spreading it to somebody who is more vulnerable to it. But then you read, well, maybe asymptomatic people can't spread it as often. Like, I don't, it gets to the point where, like, you could believe really what you want to believe based on what you read. And I think that's the most frustrating part is, like, I can look at a peak NFL athlete, athlete like Zeke, like Dak, somebody like that, and just say, yeah, they're going to be fine. Like, do they even need to miss time? I would not, if I was one of, this is just me talking, and it may sound idiotic, I would not be concerned about coronavirus uh, if I'm just around my peers as an NFL player. But if I'm around family, if I'm around my parents or my grandparents or young kids, like, you know, under one-year-olds and, and toddlers and newborns, that would concern me. So it's like, well, how do they set? And that's probably why they're going to such precautions with the NBA to set up this bubble. Who knows if that'll work out? So I, I do think there's going to be football, and I, I do think it's going to be slightly different than what we've seen you know, in, in previous years, obviously. But I, I don't want to say that there may not be fans. I don't know if the NFL isn't open to the idea of having fans come and wear masks or, you know, signing a waiver or whatever, socially distancing. I know at the college level, they're, they're already practicing. They're back and, and they're practicing. So if the collegiate athlete that doesn't get paid is back and they're working out, they're practicing. I'm here in high school football. You know, my father's a, a uh, athletic director in the Midwest. His uh, Catholic school is already back practicing over the course of the summer um, with a select group of kids. Um, and they're getting ready for padded practices in July. Like, the... I, it seems to me like if you're in that demographic, like wh I don't know what the fear is other than potentially going home and spreading it to grandma or grandpa. And so like, or somebody that's older who has an underlying health condition. So if we're going to not have the NFL this year, but we're going to have college football or high school athletics to me, like they're the writings on the wall. Now they're, they're signaling to you at the, at the lower levels, like we're going to have football. It's just going to look a little different. Yeah, that it'll be really interesting because I know like you talked about some of the collegiate practices. Um, I think it's almost one of those varying 
uh, almost program-to-program type of cases. Houston tested several athletes and almost uh, practically shut down their practices after they had a few positive tests. I think some of it, at least to the level and extent of college football, which has you know hundreds of campuses across the country, players from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of travel. There's a lot that's going to go into that. Um, for players who are not paid, I, I've kind of been on the more of the bandwagon of uh, I'm not sure if college football will happen this year. Some of it's also more difficult by the fact that, uh, like you said, John, we don't know where it's going to be at with fans. We know that thanks to the television revenue that you get from the NFL and the fact that they plan out a year in advance uh, as far as their salary cap using last year's uh, essentially what they made last year to set the salary cap and. Uh, their budgets, whatever else they need for the year previously, uh, they don't usually have as much of an impact. They could even take some of the loss next year, but stagger some of the things over the next few years. And obviously there's a new television contract that's going to be up. I think it's going to be something to watch. The NFL, they had a spokesperson, I believe, uh, Tom Mayer, who's the NFLPA medical director. Uh, They talked about their current plan. They said the current plan is to test players about three times a week. And if you test positive, you're isolated. They'll probably follow close to the CDC guidelines about 14 days or so. Um, They said that their belief is that there's going to be a 90% chance the reliable saliva testing is going to be there before they come back into facilities, before they come in for training camp. Uh, To me, that's at least one positive that we talked about when this first struck in the NBA was shutting down games left and right, John, is the fact that uh, it's painful to go a COVID test. I ended up getting one a few weeks ago. Uh, I got an antibody test uh, as well. I had a roommate, at least for that one, who had contact with some people who had the virus. Um, it goes way up your nose, kind of tickles the back, at least for that one. It's it's not like a most pleasant sensation. Um, but the fact ultimately is that you're going to have to go through those steps uh, up until we have a saliva type test. Um, they're making headway towards that. And that will be at least the case where you're going to have easier materials. They won't be as hard to come by. They're pretty more freely, I would say much more freely available now. Um, not quite the, you know, walk up to a person in a booth, get a test, go home and have your results like, you know, two hours later type of test. But the NFL is going to end up being uh, in a spot where they're going to put up, they're not going to have to necessarily have a bubble like we're seeing with a lot of happening in Orlando and the NBA. Uh, so much as just probably looking at a few ultimate changes. John, one of those I think that I could see is uh, an expanded roster come game day. Should they still be seeing that there's, you know, maybe two or three players a week who are having issues? And, you know, like you said, I, I think maybe not of the Von Millers. Uh, I think it's it sucks to have it. We do see that there is potentially some... Uh, you know, there's potential side effects, but it varies so much from person to person, it's hard to know. The ones who are at least seem to be the best off right now are the guys in the 20 to probably about 35 age range, which is pretty much right when the NFL's prime demographic is, uh, which I think is helpful. I think of the people like a Dave Gettleman, who is a cancer survivor, for those who have other health conditions. Uh, there's going to be at least a lot of limitations that you're going to have. Um, what's fortunate is you see a lot of GMs, they did their work over Zoom. Uh, people have gotten a little bit more used to some of these aspects. Uh, it's going to ultimately come down to what's not going to be maybe the level of Um, risk you're going to have, but how safe are you able to get it? Because if you can get it safe enough to a level where, hey, we had a player who came back in, was coming to practice, he got his test here for that one, we'll come back in two days from now, hey, he got his test back, he's not coming into practice today. We got a guy who's coming up to replace him, there's another guy we have on the roster, Uh, we'll make do and bring him back at least from the, I guess you could say almost like a COVID list or something like that one. 
um, and being able to identify that, be able to isolate it and not let it spread to the other players. Um, we've talked about flu games in the past. Um, there's been teams that have gotten sick. Uh, this is something that is much, much more worse than the flu. And this is something where when you talk about coaches, I think of other guys like Bruce Arians or other people, at least Arians, you know, he was in the hospital a few years ago with the diverticulitis. He had a previous cancer scare as well. This is a case where you want to make sure that the NFL isn't just safe for the players playing the game, but that there's enough things that are in place where it's safe enough for all who are able to interact with who need to be in that environment. So you don't have a Cliff Kingsbury has an advantage because, you know, he's maybe a little bit less at risk than a Bruce Arians. Um, I, that's what I think, John, as long as the NFL can take some of these different steps, uh, I think that will determine a lot because there's a safety level. And if it doesn't pass that safety threshold, then it's more likely we'll probably see, you know, sports dry back up again or have other issues. Um, we may not see the NFL have a level of a season that we'd like to see. Uh, I think, John, though, the, the question is not whether or not we do get a season. I think it's going to be, can we get close enough to that safety level? And right now, all indications are the NFL is doing everything they can to get to that level. And that's why I'm not counting them out at all. No, I I, I, I think it would be foolish to bet against the number one you know sport in the United States by a large margin that brings in. And it's the number one television show, I think, on all f- four major networks. Um, they have their contingency plans in place because they were gifted, you know, the gift of time. They were fortunate that it didn't torpedo their season before it happened like it did Major League Baseball or it, toward the end like it did the NBA. Uh, you know, they had a definitive head start. Like a lot of if you work for a major corporation, your corporations are planning for, you know, contingencies over the course of the next six months. If we have a reoccurrence in cases, if they have to scale it back. The NFL does the same thing, but they're planning out, okay, what do we do if this happens? How do we get from city to city? Do we play in our arenas? Can we play in a different site, different venue? Where do we put players and their families? But this started in March in the peak of their offseason. So I think that the same thing could be said, maybe not for Major League Baseball, because that's that's a hot mess of its own. And they've got huge problems there. But I think let's let's use the NBA for an example. If this had happened, let's say and it's hard because the NBA season feels like it goes on for God knows forever. But if it went on in the peak of their off season, which I guess is only like July and they wanted to be back up and running in like December, they could conceivably do that because they have more time. And I do think even if you get a watered down or no NBA, the rest of this year, they're going to be a much better position to, to start up again um, for the 2021 season. Um, so I just, I think the NBA, M- the NFL is in a precarious position in the sense that, you know, they were able to do what they do best in the offseason. That's drive content without tangible content, without real sports. They they did free agency. It went off without a hitch. It was fantastic. Um, and then also to, to an extent, the NFL draft. They didn't have the big, you know, spectacle in Las Vegas that you and I were supposed to attend. They did it, you know, virtually. It still worked. And we got, you know, all through all seven rounds with undrafted free agents soon to follow that. So, I'm I'm confident, and I get it. It's a whole nother ball game when you're talking about group, big groups, um, you know, 53 man rosters throughout the duration of the season, practice squads, coaches, training staffs. 
you know, health, health workers, people who, you know, cater meals and the equipment staff, you've got a lot of different intangibles, but I think if you can contain those folks into, you know, finite environments, and I'm by no means an expert, you're going to have far less cases and they're going to take extra precautions, but you know, it's going to get to a point where we're going to see cases pop up. And like you mentioned that Blake, do, does the NFL think about expanding rosters for a given year and allow a team to carry more quarterbacks, for instance. Will the Cardinals carry three to four quarterbacks? They're, they've only really got two right now in Brett Henley and Kyler Murray, and then there was that, that kid who they signed. Um, I think, was he an AFL, CFL player? Um, young guy, kind of a, a wildcat quarterback. Um, yeah, Streveler the leveler, yeah. that's the guy. That's right, yes. it's been, That's been so long. That was like the last story before Forever COVID ago. happened. I remember that happening uh, with the team. So will they, will they bring in another significant veteran um, to come in and say, okay, like you're our emergency quarterback, learn the playbook. We're going to put you in a case like Bruce Aarons is talking about doing in Tampa. He's going to get a quarterback that he feels comfortable starting probably like another Drew Stanton S player. And he's going to quarantine that person to come and tag in for Tom Brady should something happen. And so uh, I, I, I of course think that's a, a really good idea. And like you mentioned it, Blake, Nobody knows how it's going to go down, but I, I do think it's going to happen. I think it's going. they've built in contingencies for the season to start later if they need to, to be pushed back into mid-February. They've got, they've got time on their side. We're about a month out from training camps getting started, and I've, I, I'm naive in this, the, the sense maybe that I think it's going to go, out, go on without a hitch, and I don't think we're going to have any stops, stoppages of practice or play. We're going to have cases, but I think, I think it's going to be business as usual. Yeah, it will be the not if they test, but when you have positive cases, obviously, and it's going to be the protocols and everything that is in place to avoid spread, to avoid, you know, game cancellations or postponements, I think will be the big step. I do also want this is going to be maybe for to some might be like a little bit of the Debbie Downer inside here, at least as we kind of wrap up the, the, the COVID update section. But it is important to remember this disease is still very serious. You had Buddy Baker, a longtime NFL agent. Uh, both of his parents passed away from COVID. Tom Dempsey, uh, who I believe had the longest kick in the NFL, was 73 at the time. Uh, he passed away from it. There is an aspect, at least overall, where uh, even though for a lot of people they can like you know talk about how football is life or how a lot of times even just people I guess love the game enough to put it on a podcast, it, it's still not worth ultimately the absolute sacrifice in that many ways uh, that's something i think as far as to always make sure that that's put into context if it is a case where if the nfl ends up being canceled um, they're taking every precaution obviously to avoid that um, but if it does cancel or if you start the season some sort of second wave hits maybe things go through where they just feel like it's not safe um, putting the people who are there and their lives is ultimately more important what i think is at least good about the nfl is they're going to do everything like we said in their uh, capabilities and in their power to um, try to work and make sure that they've got at least a presentable um, a product where that they can move on, give at least a little bit of solace. My hope, obviously, would be, John, uh, that we can move forward to the point where, you know, a lot of it comes down to just everyday life, you know, keeping yourself careful, being able to make sure that you're following the protocols. If every person in the United States, you know, took the same level of protocol or wasn't, um, you know, being able, I guess the best way you can put it at least is it's kind of like as a one person following it, it probably doesn't make too much of an impact. But if you do see all sorts of people getting to the point where we can look at other countries that are bringing sports back, uh, you know, New Zealand, they met the last week and they had fans in the stands cheering, no social distancing happening, no masks needed because they had essentially eliminated the spread. 
my hope is that we'll be able to see a summer where that can kind of become a focus to the point where in the fall we don't have to worry about a second comeback of it. I don't believe at this point that's going to be the case, uh, unfortunately. I, it just does seem kind of like we're going to have to learn to live with this at least through the year 2020, maybe as some have said into 2021. Um, I think I can we can at least be optimistic, though, that um, the teams are going to do what they're uh, what they're best at, which is, you know, game plan set it how it is, and then when things get altered, be able to have a backup plan be able to go to it. I think if that's going to be the case, all the NFL teams plus the Cardinals will hopefully be able to have a successful start and successful conclusion to the season. Uh, but for now, it just feels like that Super Bowl in February was just so far away from that of 2020. Uh, one thing I know that'll be interesting this year, John, speaking of coronavirus, um, we've had a conversation about this. Normally, we try to have me or another two or three writers go out to the Cardinals training camp to get some updates. Uh, we're not sure how that's going to work this year. The Cardinals did at least, it seems, get an exemption from the training camp uh, having to be at their practice. Uh, if they don't have suitable facilities, uh, if they're needing to have, you know, it looks like at second field uh, for some of the practices, maybe it is just going to be media only. Uh, maybe there's a limited select number of fans who come in who have to distance from each other. We're not sure how that's going to look. Um, it's possible that there may not be as much training camp news this year, which, you know, poor Cliff Kingsbury, he comes in wants to have a secret offense last year, <laughs> and this would have been the year to do it. Uh, ultimately, I think that will be something we'll keep monitored and let you guys know. The idea, obviously, is to have the best coverage we possibly can. I know a lot of people love to get the first news and reviews from camp. Um, what I think, at least, I'd like to talk about now, John, is the shift as far as with continuing some of that national narrative. Um, there's been a lot of talk, at least, with um, the whole idea of with protesting, with a lot of these different things going on. With oh, it started with George Floyd, with Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, all of these protests. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, uh, two weeks ago we had an awesome interview with Patrick Scott. Um, that's going to be kind of, I think, the biggest emphasis that we'll have as far as uh, being able to listen, empathize. Um, one thing that we didn't have at that point was a reaction from several Cardinals players. There's since been a few... Uh, but none bigger than Larry Fitzgerald and his article that he wrote, uh, which I, that was one thing I noticed. I was even like, hey, if Fitz hasn't tweeted, you know, since before all of this started, like, I was just kind of curious. And then, of course, he drops a New York Times, like, almost front page style editorial uh, going off about how this wasn't the Minneapolis that he knew. And it was very much, John, a unifying type statement overall. Like, it, it read off very much like everything you'd expect of Fitz to be able to say. Uh, talking about how there's definitely a need for uh, a lot of people in the African-American community crying out. Um, definitely, at least, a need to be able to listen and understand. The NFL, we talked with Patrick, is definitely a place where there's a mixing of two of the different sides. We've seen the Cardinals at least seeming to be uh, maybe more on the players' coach side of things. Well, we don't know how this is going to look overall, but what were some of your thoughts on Fitz's op-ed? I was at least encouraged by the fact that Larry just continues to be this unifying sort of presence just when it seems like you need him most, both for uh, this Cardinals fan base and also, in this case, uh, for the United States. You know, he's he's an ambassador for the NFL, but he's an ambassador for equality and diversity, um, and he speaks for, I think, the, the, the vocal majority in the NFL. Um, I think many teams now and, and players on the rosters have come out and they're on the same page. And I think what better ambassador to, to kind of continue that promotion. I mean, the Cardinals have had very outspoken players uh, throughout this duration of civil protest and, uh, you know, 
push for equality ever since the death of George Floyd. We've got DeAndre Hopkins, who has been a very uh, vocal supporter of um, everything that has gone on in terms of the protesting um, and encouragement from, you know, the organization and others to do more, which the Cardinals have uh, put out several very nice thought pieces on their website, have been promoting um, the work of Hopkins and others through social media. Um, Isaiah Simmons has been marching with, um, you know, his brothers and sisters back at the University of Clemson, has been very vocal on social media. Um, and then, of course, Larry Fitzgerald with the op-ed piece in, you know, the New York Times, just so elo- eloquently put, If you, I'm not going to spoil it to, to a great extent if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, but just to talking about the idea of unity, the idea of how do we get these <clears throat> individuals who have not had an opportunity to achieve what others have and, and elevate them. And if there's, I don't know if there's a better person to do that in the NFL, certainly from, you know, uh, the Cardinal standpoint, they, they were gifted this player from the university of Pittsburgh. He's come in. He has been just the ideal player in person. He's lifted up the community. He's been the greatest Cardinal in franchise history. He's never thought about leaving. Um, they've paid him well, but the team certainly has not been the caliber of player uh, and been to his height of play throughout the duration of his, of his career, and he's never complained. And I, I just think he's going to take that same mindset whenever he does opt to, to hang up his cleats and do just great work. You know, he is a savvy businessman. He wants to achieve heights in business in, in his post-NFL career. Um, he's very savvy. You, you've seen in his contract negotiations, but... Just that his ability to speak for the majority of the NFL players in a really a non-confrontational way, and I'm not one to criticize how anybody wants to get their message out because I think everybody needs to be heard, and we need to do a better job of just listening and putting ourselves in people's position. Um, but he, he said he wanted to sit back and take everything in and then go be amongst his, his people in, in, in Minneapolis, in Minnesota. That's where he's from. That's where he grew up. And to see the distress there and to see not necessarily the devastation, but the but the outcome of the George Floyd, the aftermath, and to take that all in and to put it into this thought piece that's just been so well received, it just shows you how fortunate the Cardinals are to have him around. And I just I hope that when he does opt to retire, you know, he still is an ambassador for the game. I mean, couldn't you see if he wants to do it being um, you know, in the league as an executive, maybe even as a as a general manager, but certainly as somebody who is continuing on, you know, the legacy in the NFL. And I, I just think he, you know, he hit the nail on the head with that piece. And I, I don't know about you, Blake, but I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Yeah, it was good to be able to see. Uh, Fitzgerald has always had a perspective of someone who's kind of grown up and has always believed in, you know, trying to do things right, trying to do things at least in a point where you could set an example. And in this sense, I thought it was fascinating. We got a little bit of insight into his head where he said that it was his son who was the one who said, hey, dad, I want to be able to try to, like, be interested in all of this and, like, wondering what's going on with um, the protest, with seeing it. And some of it is, I think, being able to um, take a look. And it was an insight into, you know, that even if a Larry Fitzgerald doesn't have a true answer for everything, um, even if he's the one you know who ultimately is like having to still ultimately uh, figure this whole thing out in this country where we have all these people who are living together, um, who are separate, uh, who are all seeking to have that you know the we talk about in the U.S. the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness all the time, but feeling that there's this inequality that's still there. 
the fact that he's even saying, hey, like, we need to go and listen, and that he's taking up the mantle and listening more, uh, that does show you, one, the type of leader he is. Um, it shows you the type of leader that you would hope that he could be in a lot of different places after football, like you had mentioned. Uh, it's easy to imagine just about any role that he'd go into, for the most part, you can tell that he would be successful at it. But to be able to see that level, I think, of humility and calling other people to the same, I think it just paints at least a great reason why he's probably going to be the best Cardinals ambassador for the game, um, probably that you can think of for the team um, and for the entire NFL moving forward. Um, I, I at least thought it and was encouraged, and I think that's the biggest thing, I think, obviously, is to take that, take it to heart, you know, in my own life to listen a bit and uh, also just treasure the time that we have with Fitzgerald. I mean, every single season we always wonder, is it going to be his last? Is he going to keep playing? So far we've seen him play um, well into um, past the years and still have success <laughs> past where probably many of us imagined it'd be back in 2004, even in that 2008 Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, I thought that was at least good to be able to look at, um, and it was also encouraging, I think. Um, if you do want to check out a little bit more, again, uh, we are donating the entire month's uh, proceeds from this podcast, uh, what we're receiving. It's it's not you know too much, at least. It's not like we're you know going out there making a living off of all of this. We do this because uh, we love it. We're passionate fans about this. Um, but we do want to at least be able to give back. We've got more information from some of that, at least. It'll be coming um, on Revenge of the Birds. Uh, I think at least for this week I'll have the article uh, reposted at least with some of the different either charities or places um, we'd recommend at least if you have a cause that you'd like to support um, what's going on to be able to donate to that as well uh, john let's go and kind of shift into the last part of our program which i don't think that this was intentional but espn kind of had a little exercise where they said hey if we're going to redraft the entire nfl which includes you know rookie players includes um, long-standing time players like tom brady and use this year's 2020 draft order, where would some of these players and prospects go? And it caused a huge social media stir, kind of something I think that they didn't really expect. And most of it came down to a lot of the people who are picking the players being the team beat writers had very different opinions from where a lot of either consensus or other people or other football experts were. I uh, kind of wanted to go a little bit over that and just to kind of see as we kind of uh, get that, uh, excuse me, the... Uh, Mostly because when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals themselves, Cardinals fans felt like they were completely disrespected. You got your first five picks are basically your Patrick Mahomes, your Russell Wilson, your Lamar Jackson, your Deshaun Watson. Okay, that, those are the first four picks ESPN made. Those are pretty clear and easy to understand. You've got Russ, who's probably you know the best veteran quarterback in the NFL right now. You've got the three young guys on their rookie deals in Deshaun, Patrick, and Lamar. The fifth pick, you had Aaron Donald, you had a tackle, you had a Joey Bosa. You get to Arizona's pick, and you got Drew Brees. Okay, it's like Drew, oh, man. Drew Brees. And then you get the other guys afterwards, like a Dak Prescott, a Nick Bosa, Carson Wentz. I had to go all the way down to pick number 17 before Kyler Murray was there. And that was what I thought was interesting was that there were two Cardinals who made it in the first round. There was Kyler Murray, who went there at 17. There was also newest Cardinal DeAndre Hopkins who was actually selected by Houston, ironically enough. He probably wouldn't want to go back there. But then it also took all the way up until pick 57. So we're talking about almost like the end of the second round before Chandler Jones was selected. You had pass rushers like uh, the likes of, uh, obviously there's some pass rushers who you're like, okay, some of these make sense. Like a Khalil Mack, okay, that makes sense. Maybe I'd take Khalil Mack over Chandler Jones. Sure, I'll, I'll let you have that one. But to see other ones like T.J. Watt, Chase Young, who I hasn't wouldn't. done anything, Cameron Jordan went ahead, even Von Miller, 
DeForest Daniel Buckner, Hunter went ahead of Chandler Daniel Hunter, Jones. This is just got odd. Did Hunter go? Yes, he did. He went one pick ahead of Chandler Jones. To talk about a guy who had 20 sacks last year, and when he was back in a 3-4, had, I think, a 17 and a half sacks the year before, a guy who should be up there with Defensive Player of the Year awards, a guy who's probably toward the Hall of Fame, and you're really having him go this low, and a guy like a, you know, Aaron Donald, who's at the same age as him, is going to go top five. And it's like, it's no knock against Aaron Donald. I just don't get the difference between five and all the way to 57. Like, you want to talk me into five to 30? Sure. You want to talk me into, you know, dropping Donald back? Was sure. But, John, I felt like the Cardinals in these two aspects with him, with Murray, especially when you see Drew Locke at 15 taken ahead of Kyler yeah. Murray, I felt there was a lot of disrespect. Who were some players that you felt that the, the redraft oh, was too high or too low on? This is this was one of the most egregious results of COVID nineteen. No, I'm kidding. But this was one of the worst pieces of let's fill up some time in the NFL offseason that I've seen in in forever. Um, the I and like the Kyler Murray stuff, it doesn't bother me to to a huge extent um, because again, like you mentioned, Blake, like some of these beat writers, and we're not going to call out people by name, but like the the setup for the Chargers, I mean the Cardinal one is probably the it's probably the worst one. Let's go in on that one really fast. And like we we're not here to dog on on Josh Weinfuss, but you're talking about building a team with a with a quarterback that looks shot last year. That's really year to year and will probably retire in Drew Brees in a year. And then you're going to add Chandler Jones, which that's fine, good value at 57. Then you're adding A.J. Green at pick 72, who hasn't been healthy in three years, and then Patrick Peterson in round four, who's over 30 years old. So all of those players in a year will be over 30 years old. That Chandler Jones is, I think, 29 right now. Whereas the team right behind them got Dak Prescott, got Daniel Hunter, got Juju Smith-Schuster, got Marshawn Lattimore. I, I, I said on, on Twitter – the Cardinals would have just been better like saying, we're not going to participate. Can we just keep our current roster? And the, we know the Cardinals have a, a really nice top end of the roster with Murray, Jones, Peterson, and Hopkins. But, you know, the, the Murray disrespect, the only thing that looked super egregious to me, like I don't even count like the Darnold selection, fine, best non-quarterback in the NFL. The Ronnie Stanley one is, I think, the biggest outlier. But, I mean, if you're talking about franchise left tackle, maybe they're taking into account his rookie deal, even though he still needs to be paid. The Bosa twins, Nick and Joey going 7-10. and 10. Uh, Again, I, I like Nick Bosa. He's played one season. He didn't have double-digit sacks, and he was on a de- loaded defensive line. He's got injury concerns. And, and you're sending him to Cleveland with Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers still on the board. That's number one. Number two is Tom Brady ahead of Kyler Murray, whatever. That legacy, that's fine. Matt Ryan, you know, he's earned that right, I think, even though I don't think many would take him today over Kyler Murray. Drew Locke ahead of Kyler Murray at 15. I'm pretty sure the, the Denver beat writer is the only one who would take Drew Locke, maybe not in the first round, but in, certainly in the top 25. And then you've got Joe Burrow, who's not played a snap in the NFL, that's going to go to dumpster fire uh, Cincinnati. Go see how Joe Burrow, and I like Joe Burrow as a prospect, Cincinnati in that loaded division with with no talent, next to no talent, how he's going to do in Cincinnati in this climate of an offseason. You don't think he's going to have legitimate struggles? Kyler Murray going 17 to Dallas, that – 
I mean, that feels to me like Kyler Murray at the end of the day, judge it not on whatever this hot mess of an article was, but what we've seen for the most part, Blake, is you've got generally the big four, Mahomes, Wilson, whatever order you want there. I would take Mahomes, of course, because of youth. But then the next next couple guys, it's generally going to be Watson. We really hear Mahomes, Wilson, Watson, and then Lamar. But Lamar is so unique. Like, would he fit every team in the sense, like, would he have success with everybody? Yes, but to what extent? Because not everybody has Baltimore's offensive line. And then there's generally a drop, right, after those four players at quarterback. And then Kyler Murray is part of that next group, which is great, right? He's part of that group with... Aaron Rodgers now in his mid to late 30s. He's part of that group with Dak Prescott. He's part of that group with maybe Carson Wentz. I'm not saying he's ahead of these guys, but he's in that he's in that conversation, right? He is not in the group with the Jimmy Garoppolo's, Garoppolo's, with the Bridgewaters, with the Baker Mayfields, with the Sam Darnold. I think most people feel like he is a better player today than those players are, which is a good feeling. And I don't need this this garbage article to justify that. The second round is where things go completely off the wire with the likes of, and I like Daniel Hunter, going ahead of Chandler Jones, which is egregious. Odell Beckham going ahead of Chandler Jones. I, like, I don't... Chandler Jones is going into the Hall of Fame. He's going to he's going to have historically great sack numbers, but I also think it's a little bit of a product of the Cardinals' inability to compete at a high level since Chandler has been in the desert since 2016. They have a losing record since they've acquired him through no fault of his own. They don't play on national TV. He left the big market, New England, you know, the the blue blood franchise, the NFL, over that period of time, to the Cardinals, which is the losingest franchise in the NFL. And so the Cardinals, just like Murray is going to elevate their offense, they need to elevate their defense for Chandler Jones. And they've done a nice job putting pieces around him this offseason. But the the blatant disrespect, I think we saw a lot, Blake, with guys like Adrian Wilson before the team took off with Kurt Warner. And the people are like, hey, number 24 for Arizona, that's safety, he's really good. Well, it's like, yeah, he's always been good, but you never watched him play. And, you know... We like to think that that's not the case because we're football junkies and we know the the Chandler Joneses and the Adrian Wilsons of Jacksonville, right? We we have a good feel about all 31 other teams. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably do too. But the casual fan, my wife, who's a casual fan, she wouldn't know Chandler Jones if he wasn't on the Cardinals. And so I, I just I think that the, he's been done a disservice by a franchise that hasn't competed enough as a, at a high level. And I think that, that this list reflects it. I mean, the man had 19 sacks last year for a team that, that rarely was fortunate enough to have a lead. And the past two seasons combined for a team that went with the first overall pick and then had the eighth overall pick, he's had over 32 sacks. That's, that's incredible. He's been everything the Cardinals would have hoped for. Over a four-year span, he's had 11 sacks, 17 sacks, 13 sacks, 19 sacks. In, I think, nine, eight or nine seasons, he's got 96 sacks, easily eclipsing 10 sacks per season. He just turned 30, so I was wrong earlier. He just turned 30 in February. I, I think more so than the Kyler Murray, who, again, we love Kyler. He's had one year in the NFL. What more does Chandler Jones have to do? to get respect and to be a first-round caliber player. He almost won Defensive Player of the Year on a team that had the 32nd, 31st-ranked defense, Blake. Yeah, no, it's to me, it's 
I guess I could almost say stunning to the fact that everyone seems to keep talking about how Chandler Jones is the most disrespected player in the NFL in a lot of ways. He, he wasn't even, I believe, in the NFL top 100 last year, if you want to believe that. Um, it, it, it's just been kind of interesting to be able to see. And I think for Cardinals fans, this is what I'll say. For Cardinals fans, a lot of times, you know, we didn't say not understand how good Daniel Hunter is at times, but we still ultimately respect Minnesota's number 99. The big thing is... They're a playoff team. The Mike Zimmer defense has a strong branding. Uh, the fact ultimately is you don't see the Cardinals in the playoffs. You don't see the Cardinals in the uh, in the Super Bowl. You don't see the Cardinals. You know, that was the last time Chandler Jones, I believe, was in the playoffs, was that Super Bowl winning team uh, back in the day. You don't end up seeing the Cardinals enough in the national spotlight to be able to get Chandler Jones a lot of that brand recognition outside of football junkies, unfortunately. And that's the case. Now, I do at least understand the one thing I will say, at least to Daniel Hunter, is if you look at the guy, he's 25 years old. And he's, you know, on the pace to set a bunch of sack records. Okay, so he's four years younger than a Chandler Jones for that one. I get the fact that if you want to argue for what you're going to build your team around going younger, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you talk about the caliber of player, if you want to argue he's up there, I think I'm fine with that. But there's definitely, like you said, John, such a huge drop-off, I think, in the perception of what people say about Chandler Jones to when it comes down to how a lot of times they'll actually rank him, which, in my opinion, is unfortunate for the most part. Um, uh, he, well, I, you Daniel Hunter plays on the the Minnesota vaunted Minnesota defensive line with a defensive head coach, and Nick Bosa got to play with DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, uh, Arik Armstead, and Solomon Thomas. Who does Chandler Jones had uh, outside of Calais Campbell for like I think two seasons in, sure. in his front seven? that's even on the level of those players. I mean, and he's been on historically bad defenses. Hey, John, he had Terrell numbers, Suggs, so just, though. He had ter- oh, it did, did, oh, yeah, geez. he was the only pass rusher it seemed like they had last year at times with Terrell Suggs giving very little production, let's say. It's really sad because, not to get on my soapbox here, but, like, how many times during the peak Wizen Hunt years, and there were a couple, and the peak Arians years, Every time we were like, man, this team's a pass rusher away. Why can't they find a pass rusher? And then they got one, and for a little while they had two with Marcus Golden, and they, and they haven't been able to put everything else together. I mean, you look at those Super Bowl runs in 2008 and then the, the postseason run in 2015, the, those teams were missing one thing, an outside edge pressure. Dockett was a force in 2008, three sacks in the Super Bowl, but they were very average to below average. And I love Bertrand Berry, but he was on the back end of his career Chico Kiefer was their other outside linebacker. They didn't have any edge pressure in 2008. And then in 2015, Alex Okafor had a pool accident in, during the bye week and was, like, done. They were, they were bringing in street-free agents. Um, Marcus Golden was a rookie, and I can't remember who the other starting outside linebacker was. It was basically, like, Calais, and, you know, they got interior pressure, and that was it. And then they couldn't get after Cam Newton. Aaron Rodgers had a field day. I mean, just imagine if they had Chandler Jones. It was just Chandler got here a year too late. Hopefully they can remedy here with, with a couple postseason runs with Kyler. In the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's, it's been made difficult. It almost reminds me of how uh, there's uh, players who come in at a certain time. You could even argue for Larry Fitzgerald. He came in and had two successful quarterbacks who were both on the back end of their careers. Uh, with Chandler, he's you know approaching 30. Pass rushers can last for, as we've seen, quite a while. Uh, even Terrell Suggs, at least, was producing up until probably about his 36th year uh, at age 36. And then this year, he was 37. 
Um, still ended up putting at least a little bit more. Maybe some of that's just because he didn't play as much, had a little bit of rust, had uh, enough motivation also in the Super Bowl where he was able to, you know, make enough impact to help with the Chiefs to win another ring. I think that it does at least come down to you've got a, a great window of opportunity, and the hope is that you'll be able to have Chandler be one of those guys who will be recognized as one of the best players and best pass rushers uh, in the NFL. A little bit more on just some of those. Oh, yeah, go for it, Jack. Yeah, and I, I will say, Blake, yeah. just real quick to your point, I, pass rushers do age really well. Go ask Jerry Jones what happened when he didn't want to play DeMarcus Ware and what did DeMarcus Ware do in route to winning a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. I, I think – Chandler Jones, if, if you don't know now, he signed through, I believe, um, 2021. So he's got two more years on his contract um, this year and next year. I, I don't think there's a chance in hell that, that Michael Bidwell doesn't extend him. No, yeah. It, it, to me, he seems like he's on track to be a Ring of Honor type player. Uh, we said the same about Calais, but if you're talking about the difference with the two players, with the pass rush, what went on, uh, there were definitely – questions with Calais that led to the Cardinals parting from him we get to see post Calais now that Jacksonville got a huge a uh, huge almost maybe you could even say steal out of that deal with him and he did produce as a 4-3 defensive lineman uh, being able to rush up the gap Chandler as a 4-3 defensive end we got to see him he had a 12 sack good year for a, a typical NFL player it just wasn't your typical Chandler Jones type of year uh, and been back in the 3-4, he just took off again with, you know, almost two, like at least a sack a game, if not more, on average. So uh, that's, I think, the aspect of when you're saying, John, uh, when you're talking about that, I don't see the Cardinals wanting to move on from a guy like Chandler. And uh, I think it's going to be the same thing. There's two years left on DeAndre Hopkins' deal. Uh, assuming that Hopkins, you know, ends up being a guy who goes out there and produces like he has before, uh, there's not really any doubt in that either. Hopkins is the other guy who I've seen for the most part for the Cardinals, is the other one who consistently, in a lot of people who've copied this ESPN model, done their own redrafts, he's the only other Cardinal who has consistently gone in the first round pretty much every single time. It's consensus that, you know, even if there's maybe a, a Chris Godwin receiver who's maybe a couple years younger, he's at least a guy who is a consensus top 32 player in the game. Now, this will be interesting. Let's break down a few of these other redrafts that other people have done. Uh, Pro Football Focus and a few others, uh, they did a redraft that they had live on YouTube. I've been involved with one with Dan Kadar. Uh, you can find him, uh, I believe, at Mocking the Draft. Um, we're going to be publishing some of that, I think, at least. Maybe at least once the results are out right now, it's kind of we're still going through some of the drafting process with that. Uh, but I've been able to draft for the Cardinals there. And then looking at a few others from guys like Robert Klemko, Tris, Chris Trapasso, uh, there's a consistent trend that I've seen. And that trend is that in both the PFF and in the you know, Mocking the Draft NFL recap, you had the almost exact same order. You had Patrick Mahomes, you had Lamar Jackson, then Russell Wilson. Uh, everyone kind of agreed Lamar and Russ, maybe they're exchangeable. Deshaun Watson kind of came in as number four. And then in both of those drafts, Kyler Murray went at fifth overall. And when looking at some of the other drafts, he has not gone anywhere that I found otherwise lower than seventh. So that tells that there's not only just a level of respect that Kyler Murray has already attained, there's also the fact that there's the youth argument that obviously goes into it. He's entering, I believe, like age 23, he's super young. He had a 
very productive first season, won the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. But there's a level of respect that Kyler has where he's being taken even above some of the guys like the the Matt Ryans, the Dak Prescotts, uh, the Joe Burrows, at least, uh, above the Aaron Rodgers, the Carson Wentz. There's an aspect of the youth and also what we've seen from Kyler that people are almost like, hey, like if you're starting team, here's the top four. That's pretty much unanimous. But I want Kyler, and he's in my top five. And I think, John, we both have agreed that if you're starting a franchise, we talked about this, Kyler's probably the top, a top five guy you want to start a franchise with. And that's super encouraging, I think, for Cardinals fans, as well as the fact that, you know, we don't normally get a lot of respect. This feels like Kyler, at least through his play, has earned some of that respect so far. Well, I think he just fits the mold of what's succeeding now in the NFL. It's mobility, it's arm strength, it's accuracy, it's explosive playmaking. The The college game has never been more prevalent in NFL offenses. I mean, it's it's a seamless transition now. When, when Gardner Minshew can come from, you know, the, the running gun in the Pac-12 with, I think it was Washington State, and to come in as a six-round pick and have success, I mean, that's unheard of. 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Now it's it's seamless. I mean, the prototypical quarterback in the NFL was Josh Rosen, right? To come in, sturdy in the pocket, good, not great arm, but super accurate, high IQ, high football IQ. And that's not to say Kyler Murray doesn't have have a high IQ. We know he does. But just the intellect of you know UCLA and this blue blood you know collegiate program, and he fits the mold. And maybe I I, I do think people are accurate when they say we're in the golden age of quarterbacks and I think that it's never been more it's never been easier to play the position in the NFL because of the rules tailoring the offense but I also think that you've got to have a quarterback who can move who's durable right who's got special arm talent and who's accurate Murray's got all of those things and we see you know his selfless play he he wants to throw before he runs and i think that that's going to provide him a longevity that some of these other quarterbacks like a lamar just just won't have and i think teams and people who are doing these redrafts understand that um i think kyler murray is one standout season away from this time next year blake we're talking about kyler murray as a quintessential top 5 quarterback you know, redrafts aside, everything else. If Kyler Murray comes out and he has 30 total touchdowns and the Cardinals are, are competitive and they make the playoffs as a wild card team, I think you're going to see a conversation that shifts from, you know, tier two to, okay, it's it's um, Mahomes, it's Wilson, it's probably still Watson, although we'll see. They've, they've lost Hopkins. They've had some subtractions. You know, Lamar, if he duplicates his success, and then it's Kyler Murray, right? Because – you look at Dak Prescott on a Dallas team now that's transitioning with a new coach. They're going to pay him. Does his production go down? What's their, what's their team dynamic going to look like, right? Because, again, you start to see these quarterbacks that, that sign these second and third contracts, their productivity may go down because the team just isn't as good because these rookie contracts are not sustainable after that fifth year when you're paying guys big money. Now, some guys like a Russell Wilson translate that, right? Aaron Rodgers translates that. But Kyler has a lot of things going for him. He's got the, the, the perfect head coach that was tailor-made for him. This offense was tailor-made for him. You know, 
what 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 what's things going to be like in new, with the Jets with Sam Darnold and Adam Gase and that horrific setup that they have with no receivers and Baker Mayfield who's on his third head coach in three seasons and you know I like Josh Allen fine but he's got a defensive head coach and he's, his numbers aren't consistently improving I mean they're below average from a, a passing standpoint I think you just have to go back from these quarterbacks you know everybody loves Drew Lock right now I think people like Drew Lock because of the the weapons that have been added. I think Kyler Murray, what, what's his best credential to speak on is, again, I say it year after, not year after year, but platform after platform when we talk about this, Kyler Murray had almost to a T the same offense that Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford had a year ago. He got a new head coach, and that made a huge difference, right, than Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy running the show in 2018. But generally, the NFL is about players, and it was the same cast of players. They got health, They got lucky with some health. But then guys like Christian Kirk, they lost Marcus Gilbert at right tackle. Kyler Murray was super productive, led the offense in a revival, won NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year with the same offense that was historically bad the year before. That, to me, tells me everything I need to know. It's not, look at this player. He went to, an, he went to a playoff contender. He fell in the first round. He was gifted all these weapons. Look at his production. Okay, and that's not to knock on Lamar or Mahomes or Dak Prescott, when he was a fourth-round pick on a loaded Dallas team. Mitch Trubisky, who got a really nice Chicago roster, and, you know, that's that's how they got to the playoffs, right? Look at these guys that come into, you know, really rough situations, and how do they respond? It reminds me a lot of Matt Ryan as a rookie, coming in, turning it around quickly, you know, very competitive stretch, eventually making a Super Bowl. Cam Newton, if the injuries didn't derail him, they were rattling off, you know, conference title appearances, you know, NFC South titles, that to me, Andrew Luck, having that consistent run of success with a below average roster, Kyler Murray is in that realm. And I think that we're just going to see that continued maturation this year. And I think people understand that. And that's why they respect him so much. Yeah, like you said, he fits the mold that everyone's looking for. And uh, it's a step above, I think, a lot of other players, because like you said, there's all of the different aspects and tools are there. You're just hoping for a bit of maturity. And then again, getting a few weapons around him that he'll be able to explode and kind of enter that stratospheric type ranks. Now, uh, one thing that was interesting with the uh, kind of the draft that I've been in was uh, seeing a few other developing uh, decisions. Um, they did a, a snake draft type style. So the pick that I had at least for that one um, was probably closer to the 60s uh, than it was to the where how ESPN, how Pro Football Focus have done their drafts of uh, you get a slot of the team, you draft players for that team. Uh, the players who are at least on the board for when I would have been eligible to pick, you've got probably four of them. You have a Jalen Ramsey, you've got a Daniil Hunter, who we talked about, Zach Martin, Tredavious White, and then you had Chandler Jones. That's where I would have picked. Now, of those different players, they brought up an interesting question. Do you go with finding a shutdown cornerback, or do you go with a pass rusher? And I think, John, we've talked about how you probably need both because we saw this team with a Patrick Peterson. We saw this team without a Chandler Jones. The Cardinals were able to make it to an NFC Championship game but didn't have the pass rush to get there. We've also seen the flip side of what the defense looks like when you have a Chandler Jones, but we're missing Patrick Peterson, and a guy came back and was not as effective. I do think that that is kind of always part of that coverage pass rush battle. I figured it was a little bit easier to be able to find a cornerback 
than uh, I should say at least uh, easier to find a pass rusher than it is to find a shutdown corner. We've seen some corners who go in the top five drafts who just completely flame out. We've seen that happen occasionally with pass rushers, but uh, for the most part in my mock draft thing, I, I went through and I ended up having um, uh, the opportunity at least to decide between if I wanted to take a uh, – uh, what was it? I, I was looking at a guy like Jair Alexander when it came to my pick. I ended up going, ironically enough, with over Amari Cooper, over Odell Beckham, over Saquon Barkley. I decided to take a Cardinals rival in Bobby Wagner. And part of that, I think, is just from looking at the structure of the team and their defense, the importance of having a guy who can go around, do it all, um, that type of linebacker is something that the Cardinals, we haven't really seen that, plus the athleticism. And then in the next... Yeah, exactly. They tried. And the next round, I went and got Jeff Okuda because I figured, why not get a guy who can be a shutdown corner at a discount without having to, you know, take that in the second round and then wait on a, a different type of player. What was most curious to me, John, in round four, Isaiah Simmons was taken in that redraft. He was one of the top 120 players. And that, I thought, was very interesting because it shows the athleticism, the potential, even though he hasn't played a snap in the NFL – I think it showed also a lot of the intrigue that's behind the player who, you know, is potentially as a line. He's listed as a linebacker safety here, which is what he played at Clemson, essentially, too. The fact that he can line up all over, be able to do anything from rushing the passer to uh, potentially covering a, a big slot receiver or a tight end. There's a lot of uniqueness that comes with his role, and it also shows, I think, a lot of need for that in the NFL. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that uh, Isaiah Simmons, and obviously part of we talked about Peterson, he's almost 30. Uh, the age is part of it, but it's pleasant surprise to see Simmons be with the next next Cardinal who went that high after Kyler Murray and after Chandler Jones. So we'll see if that ends up being living up to some of the billing. I know that's, you know, it comes with the territory, the warning that we get from Hassan Reddick. We don't know if it's going to be the same case or if it's going to be the same steal that a lot of Cardinals fans felt on draft day. Uh, what are your thoughts at least about Simmons, John? Is, is this going to be a case at least where, you know, we can at least be excited about some of the potential we have, or is it going to be more of, still bemoaning some of these different missed draft picks. And, you know, Christian Kirk, we were hoping he was going to be a number one wide receiver for the team by this time. He hasn't been taken, and the team made a trade for another receiver instead. What are your thoughts on some of these other Cardinals players or ones who you could see maybe uh, ramp up into the top 120 of most people's consensus boards? That's a great question. I think, I think Simmons has to be top of your list because I think we're going to know quickly – and I don't mean to put pressure on the young man, we're going to know quick whether or not Isaiah Sims is, is big time. He, he's going to, quote, unquote, pop at, at camp, and they're going to say he just, just similar to Tyron. Remember Tyron as a rookie came in immediately was just like, he's a dog. He's a guy that they're, they just haven't had that caliber of player. And I think, fingers crossed, I mean, they've, they drafted Simmons to be that guy. This is not a slow build where it's like, yeah, let's get him some snaps. Let's let him learn as a rookie. Now, he's going to play 99% of the time. He's going to be a field general probably by midseason, super well-respected. They just, outside of Chandler, Buddha, and maybe Patrick, they don't have anybody close to the caliber of athlete. I mean, no one is as – he probably is as fast or is the fastest player defensively right now. Um, and so I think he's number one. I mean, if we're talking about – let's put aside Kyler Murray – Chandler Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and then talk about like that next wave of of Cardinal players who could be great. Um, I think Simmons, absolutely. You take somebody eighth overall, no matter the position, um, you, you, you think he's going to be a top 100 player, a Pro Bowl player consistently. 
Buda Baker is that next player. He's already made a Pro Bowl in his first three seasons. He's going to have a nice contract extension. Super versatile, and I think the addition of Simmons is only going to help him. Going to be able to put him in more positions to succeed. He's going to be able to play a little bit more near the line of scrimmage. The Cardinals just have really nice interchangeable players between Buda, between somebody like Jalen Thompson, who I like, and then, of course, with Isaiah Simmons. And then they have nice depth with Devontae Campbell. Um, they can do a lot of different things creatively, but I, I digress. I think the next player that we could see, depending on his maturation, is Byron Murphy. I think Byron Murphy, if we see flashes this year, the for, former 33rd overall pick out of Washington. Remember, it feels like he's been with us forever. He was a rookie last year, but he was forced into the starting lineup on a bad team. The Cardinals have promising young talent defensively for the first time in some time. Between Simmons, Buda, and Byron Murphy, those are three guys I think that could be the next staple defensively for this team. But you mentioned they need, you know, a standout probably along the defensive line. It would be great if a if a you know a faux two, Lecky faux two, or a Zach Allen made that jump. Maybe a Rashad Lawrence. You know, we like Jordan Phillips. He's probably not a top 100 player. Um, I think that that's going to have to come in a future draft. I, I would love to be surprised by a mid-round developmental guy, but probably not in the cards at this point. I like Jordan Hicks. Yeah, he he he. Right now, he's not a top 100 player. Offensively, I think the only two guys I could think that could, could could potentially make that impact and be top 100 players, Christian Kirk. I'm still very much high on. I know people are down on him with the injuries. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna blow up this year, have eclipse a thousand yards, and I think he's gonna be a really nice player the next couple of years and get a nice extension. Will he be a top 100 player? I don't know. Um, the other player is Kenyon Drake. Um, running backs are year to year. But could he be a top 100 player, let's say, for the next two years if the Cardinals just run him into the ground, right? If they give him a ton of yards all-purpose, they continue to tag him and just say, we're going to pay a year-to-year BR bell cow. I mean, would it surprise anybody this year if he had over 1,500 yards from scrimmage, rushing, and receiving, and have double-digit touchdowns? That position is so year-to-year, I think that he could be uh, a top 100 player easily. He's already being talked about as a top 10 um, running back or top 10 fantasy back. So I think that that would be very interchangeable there. And then I'll give you one more just because I love him as a prospect. Let's see what we have in Josh Jones um, this time next year. Can he develop into a capable right tackle, maybe a Pro Bowl right tackle? Uh, I know that's asking a lot, but if you had to, you know, put me on the spot, I would go Byron Murphy, Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, Kenyon Drake, and Christian Kirk. Yeah, right now you're hoping for the Cardinals, I think, to have some of their young talent where they can hit on picks and hit on it at a high level. Uh, I think that's definitely what you're looking for for the Cards. I was just going back through at least, and uh, unless I'm mistaken, I don't even see Chandler Jones having been selected in the top 120 picks of the PFF mock. So, uh, yeah. No, I, we, I we tried to. I, I like, part of don't it get me started. That's, that's, that that's so egregiously bad. To, uh, potential. My, I also wouldn't rule out the Cardinals taking a, you know, taking the DeAndre Hopkins situation, you know, maybe adding to it. There may be a player who at least wants a new deal. Team isn't willing to pay it, isn't able to pay it. Uh, we talked even about this as far as with a Chris Jones type of player where you're talking about, you know, hey, he's playing on the franchise tag this year. Deal's going to be up soon. You could trade a draft pick that's going to be 
Um, probably you're hoping at least not going to be in the top 10 this year. You're hoping that maybe the Cardinals can edge toward the playoffs. That'd be a mid to late first rounder. Uh, if you want to trade that pick or trade a second, you might be able to add another one of those top 120 talents, just like you did Hopkins um, for the next year. So that's where I think that it just comes down to building the team, building the franchise. Obviously, it's going to start with your ultimate quarterback in Kyler Murray. And as of now, it's a good place, I think, for Cardinals fans to be. Uh, it's a good place, at least, to be able to have as far as knowing how much that quarterback is an impact for your team. Well, that's going to be it for us tonight. Um, we'll see as far as for what the upcoming news. Um, most of what I think is going to be left, John, is going to be getting through June and then uh, figuring out when some of these training camp dates will start up. Uh, obviously, a lot is coming and going. It's almost kind of like still this week-to-week proposition that we have, uh, not just in the NFL, it seems, but for a lot of the country as well. Um, you can find our podcast if you're listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Play Podcasts, uh, places like Stitch iHeartRadio. We're also on Spotify, especially. Uh, you'll be able to find us as well on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, John, where can you find, uh, I was going to say, where can the listeners find you and your content? Sure. I'm uh, on Twitter at Johnny Touchdown, and then, of course, here on the ROTB podcast, and then revengeofthebirds.com. Just released an article uh, yesterday on three pop players, breakout players. Uh, for the uh, 2020 season, probably even mention them on the podcast tonight. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us. We're going to continue to churn out consistent content before the season begins. We hope there will be tangible football news to discuss as we eke our way, inch our way into training camp. And boy, Blake, I just feel like Kime's got one more significant signing up his sleeve, and I, I'd love it to be a pass rusher, but that might be a tease for a future podcast yeah absolutely uh, thank you guys again so much for listening again don't forget about those downloads each one of those is going to go toward uh, charitable causes we'll see you guys next time on the other side of the bend this is the revenge of the birds podcast go cardinals <laughs>